Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. People thought they were going to have to pay to get this thing on anything. Uh, and then you were just in terms of the entanglements between who owns what. You're looking at uh, who is now a very much a minority owner is are two groups that have billions of dollars invested in the PGA Tour. Who knows? When you think of the CW, do you think of golf? Yeah, you think of golf and Gilmore Girls. Girls. Yeah, Gilmore, yeah, Gilmore Girls. Girls reruns, yeah, Gossip small, Girls, yeah, Smallville. You, you think of the but Gilmore oh my god, Girls. if they could bring back the One Tree Hill opening scene <laughs> Can I with just... like Brooks Capco pulling up the hoodie as he crosses the bridge. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. For those of us who've never seen One Tree Hill like me, I don't really get that, but Michael has explained it to me you before. You can zoom out with Bryson, with Brooks, <laughs> yeah, two right. long-lost brothers, So that's, that's dueling it out know. on the basketball court. Good to know. Uh, look, we could do football in the open, but we're going to have Wilbon and Zverluga do football. So we're going to do something else in the open. I got a picture two days ago from Rob Stronick. He said, look at this. It's Dan Byrne at Calvert Woodley with a guitar singing. Dan Byrne singing at singing his song, his original song, La Cheeserie, at La Cheeserie. I actually have the recording. Would go you ahead. hear that? Here go, we go ahead. La Cheeserie, it's what we purvey. So French, isn't it? So French. Well, it is a cheese counter. Fromage. The best well, part. You cut that- it off. Our passion is cheese. <laughs> Our passion is cheese. You cut yes. it off. Yes. Dan well- Byrne joins us now. <laughs> I want to get to a million questions about actually playing and singing a la cheeserie, but first, you did. Uh, a paid gig at Jam and Java on Saturday night in Vienna, Virginia. Friday. Friday night. How was that? Was it good? Did you get a good crowd? Yeah, well, it was a great crowd, um, uh, bolstered by a bunch of littles, um, which sort of opens the door to playing, you know, Wembanyama, La Cheeserie, <laughs> Zippy Zappy, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. When you do that... And people who are not familiar with the show look at you. What do they think? Um, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, you know, some, some very odd minion just walked in. Uh, but uh, you sort of explain it a little bit. And uh, uh, I think people, people come along for the ride. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. So tell us about playing. And, and I mean, the most important question I have for you is this. I've said this many times. Calvert Woodley is a large scale liquor store. They do a mm-hmm. lot of business. I can't mm-hmm. emphasize this enough. It's a liquor store. Yes. They have a cheese counter called La Cheeserie. It's, I don't know, six feet long in a pretty yeah. big store. So when you saw it, and this is like a PTI question, big deal, little deal, no deal. Were you overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or simply whelmed <laughs> by the actual cheeserie part? It, it was pretty whelming. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was such a fabled, you know, it was like going to Fenway Park for the first time or the Sistine <laughs> Chapel. I mean, it was, it was like, could you, you know, he cut me a few pieces of Gruyere, which I treasured uh, down the road. Um, the funny thing was, you know, I, the, there are a couple guys in suits, not behind the counter, but 
they saw me with my guitar and they sensed that something odd was afoot. Yeah. And they were like, oh, are you one of those Kornheiser guys? No. Oh. <laughs> so did was Michael Sands there by any chance, the owner? Mike, yeah, Michael came out after I had sung the song. Uh, he said he was in a meeting otherwise, dot, dot, dot. It was unclear what the otherwise might be. Well, he would have you uh, arrested is otherwise. <laughs> but I sang it again for, for since Michael came out. So, so I actually great. got it in twice. So great. So we think of you, honestly, as our own personal genius. I, I mean, we do. But you are a professional performer. You're a singer, a songwriter. You do all of these things. In the, it, it feels like your business is coming back, but what have the last three years been like in a pandemic for someone who, you know, needs to have an audience? Well, you know, I started doing these streaming shows, uh, which I called Hunkered in the Bunker, and that kind of, um, I mean, honestly, it was, I was, it was pretty largely modeled on your show. I mean, you know, it, it gets its own community of, of listeners and they start talking to each other and it was it was really wonderful uh, and I still do it a bit but it is nice to get I you know last year I, I, I went out and did a tour and it was pretty horrible uh, but it's it's a lot better now it's coming back and people seem fine coming out see I, I'm oh so old that I remember when bands or singers put out records and then they built a tour around the record, and they were trying to sell records. I don't even know if you sell records anymore, or if your main income is from actual live performance gate. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, I've got Tony, uh, you know, songs from Mr. Tony, Volumes One and Two. They they're doing pretty well right now. That's great. We're holding them up as you know for News Channel Eight <laughs> right now. We see them. Yeah. But do you, you know, do you? Live gate still would seem to me to be the biggest source of revenue. I mean, yeah. N now that I'm out, it's it's great to have that again. You know, uh, it's it's patch it together, catch as catch can. Hopefully, you know, when a a movie comes along and they want some songs, or a TV show and they want some songs, uh, I have no idea, honestly, how I've sort of survived the last three years, but. Here we are. Michael, you, your kids have, are raised on dance music, right? Stinky and dirty. Yeah, the question I would have is you just look at the streaming services. Everyone wants more content. Every single book that's ever been out for a kid is now a TV show. Are you trying to see if you can expand some of these songs for the kids and try and make that its own show, its own standalone? Oh, I mean, I probably should. Uh, the only thing, honestly, that's ever worked for me is when people come looking for me and, uh, and you know ask me to do songs for this or that i'm i haven't been very good about trying to figure out how i can you know get stuff into some existing format if you have any ideas i'm i'm all <laughs> michael's got ideas wide open. um <laughs> so so what are some of the tv shows you've recorded for and what are some of the movies you've recorded for and then as a supplemental question if you watch these things and you hear your voice you must be blown away by that you must be well yeah, it's it's always a thrill, as it is always a thrill to have a song on your show. I mean, it, it never gets old. Uh, I mean, I've listened to so much radio my whole life, and to actually be able to be a kind of a part of it is is just wonderful. And I I I thank you for that. You know, 
Oh, obviously the pleasure is ours. I, I can't let you go without asking this. I mean, I grew up, okay, the Beatles were one and the Rolling Stones were two. And for me, the Beach Boys were one or two as well. But around the world, the Who was yeah. three. Mm. Uh, Roger Daltrey is, mm. if nothing else, the way he throws the microphone is iconic. <laughs> Everybody yeah. knows that. What was it like, not just to open for him, but for somebody to say, would you like to open for Roger Daltrey? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to even put it into some context. It's, you know, you almost have to just put your head down and just, just do it and not think too much about it. Otherwise, you know, what, you're going to be kind of thrown off by it. But, you know, it, you try to imagine that, well, I belong here. I'm an arena rocker, clearly. Uh, it is, I don't know, he's just so amazing and gracious. And, I, you know, the way he can still sing is just is phenomenal. Stylistically, you could not be more different than Roger Daltrey. Do you ever sense that the crowd, which wants Roger Daltrey, is saying, get this guy off the stage, or do they like you? Well, they seem to like me. Um, I, I'm really glad that I'm going to get another chance at it. You know, the, I had that one, that one off last year in Memphis and, uh, you know, afterwards you're thinking, oh man, now that I've done that and seen them with their, with the crowd, I, I learned so much. I, I just want to do it again. And so I'm really glad I'm going to get the chance to do it again. Is there anybody out there? Anybody at all, including Paul McCartney, where you say to yourself, oh, I'd like to open for them as well? Hmm. Uh, gosh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you could say Dylan, but I don't know that I would, really. Uh, I mean, there's, there's there's so many giants right now that are still doing it. Yeah. You know, including Bruce, you know, that uh, that you you imagine it but i don't know you, you just kind of guys like that you want to get out of the way i guess i I'd, I'd like to be somebody that when i'm 80 that somebody would want to open for well i'll be 80 next week so <laughs> you can open for me it's a great pleasure go ahead i think we can have an act yeah. you and me it's a great pleasure not only to have you on but to have your music with us all the time and it's been just a joy and your genius shines through thank you dan thank you so much all of you dan Byrne, boys and girls i I mean that's a wow that's just a wow i'm glad to know you know that after a few years of lean times because of a pandemic if you're gonna if you're a performer and people won't get won't go out to see you you know because they're afraid of their health that's that's a tough way to yeah I, i think sometimes he even forgets how much some of these small songs mean to all of us and I mean, I look at it for myself, and I see when he came into the studio, and he played, hey, you might not know the song, but Stinky and Dirty, the theme song, that is an anthem for the under five crowd. Yeah. And if only my kids were a little bit older to get them into that studio, it would have been pretty cool. Um, on another note, Chuck Todd and James Carville went three and one over the weekend. Got a text from James last Carville night. Carville is 71, 41, and four. And from Andrew Vogel in Spokane, uh, Washington. 
Tony, did you know that if you bet with Carville on his first multi-bet game and doubled the bet every time until you got to 20 and 0, you'd end up with $524,288? I didn't know that, and what a fool I feel like. Although I don't know how much that is for the initial bet. Is it 10? Is it 50? Is it 100? Carville's killing it. And Chuck Todd has assured himself with a great backdoor cover um, on the Jacksonville game late. Chuck Todd has assured himself of a winning record because there's only three games left, and he's 68, 65, and two. So a not losing record, a not right. losing record. Reginald and Jeff Ma were two and two. Um, they're still way over five hundred. Everybody, everybody, everybody's going to be five hundred or better. Yeah, you're making so, money. Yeah, so you're cra- if you have to look back in tremendous anger if you didn't bet with these people. <laughs> Did you go to the golf ball yesterday? Not at all. So during the halftime at the Buffalo game, I needed a break. So you went so to go what watch. Happened? Uh, no, Rom is the best player in the world. Yeah. There's been issues where he's saying, hey, the world rankings don't really reflect that. But he, he proved it. He, well, who's this other guy? Davis Thompson. Never seen him. him. Okay. I got a note about him. Why? Um, he, somebody, he held his own. Somebody wrote me a, um, a text saying that they were very happy to see he got angry and threw his club once. That oh, it yeah. wasn't just an automaton because <laughs> nobody had known him. We will take a break. Uh, first, we have Michael Wilbon, then we have Barry Zerluga, and we're all football after this. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Josh Barber in Manhattan, who writes, I'd be remiss if I didn't submit the music of the woman to whom I'm related by marriage to TK Jingles. We were married October 29th, 2022, not long before your own daughter's wedding, and I was sad to hear we missed out on the possibility that Nigel could officiate. My four younger brothers were my groomsmen. They all look so stately in their Indochino suits, and you can bet you took us that I used the code for all four of them. Save myself a pretty penny. Um, he, he says, my wife is one half of the duo Jess and Aaron. They make exclusively kids' music which puts them squarely in the Bootsy and the Hammer demographic. You, you can find attention. them. And the captain. You can find them on whatever. Well, the captain has no music He's yet. beginning to crawl. You can find them. He should stand up soon. On whatever <laughs> streaming service the Google machine takes you to. She's my own personal hero. Opened her own piano lessons business in Manhattan called Voyager Music Lessons in March 2020. Been growing ever since. What's braver than that? Uh, this is called Shoes. That's right. It plays in Michael Wilbon. At the end of the show, you can obviously listen to this music and stop listening to me. We are all football at the moment. Um, is there one game of the four games, not all of which were great games, but is there one thing that stood out to you where you said, oh, I, I didn't know that? Hmm. Um, Tony... I don't, I don't, I'm not thinking so. I mean, I watch so much football right. during the year. And, 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 you know, you see these particular teams. Time so and again. Much. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it, would, it, would, it would, that sort of thing would probably involve Jacksonville. Yeah. Which I see less than the others. But I, I don't know that they, so, I, you know, one thing that, that's, I'm not going to say it jumps out to me, but it seems possible to me, is that the Cowboys, even in defeat, 
they played pretty damn well yesterday. They did. Like, people are calling me saying, ah, you know, the 49ers, they, they're not that good. They barely beat Dallas. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no. The Cowboys played pretty well. They weren't perfect. But I thought they played pretty well. And Dak, with those two stupid mistakes. But they Bad picks. They weren't, but, they, but they weren't so costly. It's not like one was a pick six and one led directly. to You know, it wasn't. And so maybe they both played pretty well. And 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 San Francisco is going to be better served going to Philadelphia now. See, this is interesting. By having played a tough, <clears throat> yeah, a pretty tough Cowboys team. Uh, the two things, if if I asked myself the same question, the two things that stood out to me are both on the NFC side. One is that San Francisco's defense is just tremendous. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, they don't give up points. They're really, really good, so they can have a third string rookie quarterback. And the other thing is that Philadelphia jumped out of the box. I mean, they'd been out for a week, and they'd had three games, lackluster games, and you wondered about Hurts, and they were really good. They were That's a division rival. They, they killed them. You know what I mean? I, I thought that yeah. was a big deal. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it was. It didn't. The thing is, Tony, I, said this, I know I said this to you last week. Um, the teams that get that bye, you know, in, in the case of Kansas City, in the case of uh, not Philadelphia, they you know they looked like for the most part that they 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 used that week to their advantage. They earned it with having the best record records in the league, respectively. And so I wasn't that that didn't really shock me. Maybe the Giants I thought would put up a bigger fight early and not be down as much as they were. Wow. That that wasn't that that didn't jump out. I, I just. Again, I thought, I know that Dallas is going to be the big discussion today. Dallas loses, and, you know, are they going to fire the coach and, and oh, get no. back? And, no. I mean, you know, they lost be their best runner. Reaction. Tony Pollard was out of it. No, Dallas played fine. Dallas. That's what I think. I thought. I really thought Dallas I, played pretty I well. Agree. Look, let's, let's understand something, kids. Three teams from that division made the playoffs and were playing in the second week. Three yeah. teams from the same yeah. division, so don't right. don't give me this Dallas stinks. Don't 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 go yeah, there. I don't, I don't, right? I don't want to hear that. You and I are in agreement on that. Let's go. But let's go back in order. Let's talk about Mahomes. We are both concerned about Mahomes. We oh, are yeah. concerned they put him back in. What is your thought on this? No, I, I listened. I I was I was convinced by talking head quarterbacks who know because who play, They both played in Super Bowls. Uh, Boomer Esiason and Phil Simms. Phil Simms on CBS. Each guy said, you know, getting back in there and, and finishing that game wasn't a surprise. But he won't be able to walk Tuesday or Wednesday. And I just said, okay, I'm going to nod and listen to them. I, I've I've listened to both those guys, not just as talking heads, but when they were players because I stood in front of their lockers, yep. you did. Yep. One of them I covered more than anybody on earth is Boomer Esiason from college through his NFL career, and, and when they both say he's not going to walk, I believe it. And so then, what happens on the weekend? I do not believe he will be effective enough to beat Kansas City. I don't. No, to I beat mean, Cincinnati. Sorry, to beat, uh, Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati. So, but whatever they did in the moment in the day, it wasn't going to necessarily hurt what he was going to be able to do going forward. So I don't have a problem with that. You know, I, I don't know if people concentrate on this. If Jacksonville doesn't have that fumble inside the 10, 
they have enough time to win that game. Yeah. They yeah. can win that so game. They tie it. Sure. They, they're, Absolutely. They're pretty good. Yeah. They're pretty good. They're, they're not ready yet. They remind me of sort of an NBA team, Jacksonville. They had to have some heartbreak before, you know, finishing the, the trip, the journey. You see that in the NBA very specifically. The guys, no matter how good, LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, Shaq, I don't care. There are three people ever, you know, Russell, Magic, and Tim Duncan, who didn't get crushed at some point That's right. early on before completing the journey. And maybe Jacksonville's in that sort of queue as well. So we'll, we'll be able to see, you know, how far what they do with next year it is coming up. Exciting to watch them, you know, matriculate down the field. As, as Hank Stram man, would Hank say. Stram would say. <laughs> um, there is no more important pairing in professional football than what I'm going to say now. A good quarterback and a good offensive coach. There's nothing more important than that. And Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence appear to be in that category, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you think about, um, and you don't want to overstate it, but, I mean, it goes all the way to sort of uh, Bill Walsh, Montana. And Montana. It, of course yeah, you, it does. You, you get that, um, and you think about it. And and, and so, yes, not totally, I wouldn't just say offensive coach. I, I'd say because half the great quarterbacks didn't have that. They had defensive guys. Well, who Belichick and Brady. Parcells yeah. and Phil Simms. You know, Jimmy Johnson and Troy Aikman. Um, I don't know that it means that as offensive coach, there's no more important pairing than the head coach and the star quarterback, and whether or not it's... they, in, in in a tag team way, can can stay together and win championships. It's a big yes, deal. There's going to be an offensive coordinator in there, but I just think it's head coach and quarterback. Yeah, I turned off the Eagles game at a very specific moment. It was fourteen nothing. The Giants got the ball back. They did nothing, and I said, "This game is over." You felt the same way, right? Yeah, I didn't turn it off. I, I, I watched it through. But I just thought, okay, yeah, this is not going to be as as tight as I might have hoped. And I was sort of hoping for that, that sort of back-and-forth game. We didn't get that. So, so, yeah, I had sort of drawn that conclusion. I, yeah. I got a little distracted at that point and started turning on NBA games as well. But, um, yeah, Tony, I agree with you. So we'll get to yesterday's stuff and Buffalo. Buffalo is at home. They got the weather conditions that they want, the weather conditions that they're built for. They have a quarterback who can run and take contact. They got, they're okay. In a snow game, everything they've got is pretty good. They go down 14 nothing, and you say, ooh, is this going to be the Eagles game? And then they come back to 14-7. You say, okay, yeah. there's a game here. And then yeah. there wasn't. What do you make yeah. of that? They're not good enough. They're not? There's a reason you and I both said definitively Cincinnati. That's Six right. weeks we've been saying yeah, that. That's right. We didn't say Buffalo. Right. Neither one of us was tempted to say Buffalo. No. And, and, I, and as I have said to you, and I'll say now publicly, I don't root against Buffalo. I don't. I was there during that four-year run. I was there for a lot of games. I'm going to say, Tony, that during those four years, uh, I'm going to say I was there 15 times in Buffalo, or, or with the Bills. Some were road games. Most were home games. I was with the Bills a lot. And those guys who, who are now either in the Hall of Fame or up for Hall of Fame consideration, from Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith to, you know, Andre Reid and, 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 and Cornelius Bennett, and, and, of course, Marv Levy, who I love. And Marv Levy is a Chicagoan. Um, I 
I don't root against Buffalo. I, I, I have a sense of what that community, what, what that team, what that franchise, what those people meant and mean to that region. And I don't root against them. I, they're not my favorite. They're not the Bears to me. I don't have that kind of relationship with them. I'm not from there. But I spent enough time there observing. And I've, I've walked down those stairs through that stadium when they were losing important games or when they were winning important games, and I know what it means. So I, I you know, kind of secretly, even though I said I think Cincinnati's the best team in the AFC, I wouldn't have minded Buffalo winning. But they're not, they're not good enough. They're, there's something that they're missing. I don't know what that is. I don't follow the NFL in person enough to be in locker rooms and listen and hear the speculation about those sorts of things anymore. But there's something that they're missing, and they're not as good. They, the media just weren't as good as Cincinnati. They were not. And they're not as good as Kansas City right now. And maybe they'll be able to add it. Maybe they'll be able to figure it out. Maybe they got to get a, a, a running back that's more dynamic. I, I miss, well, I think Von I didn't Miller. Miss the name Thurman Thomas, by the way. Thurman yeah, Thurman Thomas. Thomas. I, I think Von Miller him. getting hurt is a big deal. Well, and, and that may be, you know, he was their closer. He's a closer. Sort of. That's a big yeah. deal. But I will say this about Buffalo. When you write down, if anybody's out there and they're going to do a term paper on the history of the NFL, and you write all the great teams in the NFL, you know, and the Patriots and the Packers and the 49ers, all, all that. The Buffalo Bills went four straight years. That's right. Four, I know they lost, yeah. but they went four yeah. straight years, and nobody's yeah. done that, kids. The further we get away from it, and I've said this a million times to people, the further we get away from it, the greater those teams are to yes. me. Yes, yes. You know, and then, you know, I, I, I started thinking, now that I mentioned it, Frank Reich in a backup role, and once, obviously, in a role, it wasn't backup. And, and, and again, and Thurman Thomas, who I, who I ran into in Dublin, really? great talk um, with Thurman Thomas, uh, who I like a lot. And I look at those guys' tone, and it's, you know, the way they conducted themselves largely and who they were and who they are. Um, and I, I kind of quietly root for the Bills, but that, that wasn't happening. They're just, they weren't as good as Cincinnati. And, so, and you know what? It looks like Joe Cool. It looks like, it looks like, he's the one guy who's not hype. Everybody's hype now. People go crazy. Give me a bowl of that hype. Let me eat some hype this morning. No, he's not. He he seems to be the goods, and you need to win. In that sport, you can win one, and you're immortalized. And maybe he'll win one now. He's got a shot again. But or maybe it'll take you know a couple of tries. Or you know John Elway, it took his whole life in football before he got his the tries that he converted. So, but Joe Cool seems to be man. This Burrow guy, he doesn't matter if he gets hit so far. He can take he can get hit and not worry about it. His line can break down, not worried about it. And he won in college, and he seems to be that dude. Um, he won in, in college. Josh Allen isn't. Man. He won in college with the guy he's throwing to now. And They're someday great. that Bab could Perry be Montana to Rice. Someday that could be. You got to do know, it for ten way, years. You got to. By but, the way, to to look in on that to to see those shots, of Jerry Rice. You, yeah. You realize Jerry Rice is. I'm a I'm a guest now. I'm gonna say Jerry Rice is 61 years old. You 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 see Jerry Rice? Yeah, he looked great. He was jumping Jerry up and Rice down like, like a maniac. 60 years old? Anybody? No. Hell no. He looks great. I'll just mention this that. Eleven weeks ago, one of us said San Francisco was going to be in the you Super did, Bowl. You did. You did. It took me about six a weeks longer. ago. One of convinced. us said seven weeks ago Cincinnati would be in. I'm still alive. 
Yeah, I yeah, mean, Cincinnati, my bed is San Francisco, but I'm still alive. Yeah, Cincinnati, you know, and San Francisco looked the best to me by the time people started saying to us on shows, you guys have to pick Sports Center and you and our own producers. Yeah. And you had said San Francisco earlier, certainly weeks earlier than me. Um, I thought Cincinnati, you know, I thought Cincinnati, you know, early on was, was just a little bit better. I was, you know, kind of secretly hoping again for Buffalo. Yeah, that's understandable. It just, it's understandable. It, I mean, it, next week it didn't is turn out. next week's tough. I mean, Kansas City at home is really good. They're really good. They are Tony, but they are. But I just think Patrick Mahomes is going to be reduced, and this notion that he'll be more limited and it'll be good, I ain't buying it. No, I ain't buying it. No. That he won't try as many things. That he's, he'll be confined, and that'll help him. Uh-uh. I, no, I, that, his I, style I, I, is that. his style, and if he can't do that, he is diminished. That's right. All right, That's I'll right. talk to you later. Michael Wilbon, right, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Barry's Verluga will join us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, these are Jess and Aaron, and Jess is Mrs. Josh Barber from Manhattan, New York. Um, who, they, they play kids' music. Michael, you like this? I do. You can get I'm some smiling. of this music for the kids? Yeah. The three boys? I'm just thinking about the snack bag. Yeah. <laughs> on the road, yes. This is on the road, not the on the road we're used to. <laughs> on the road again, not that one. Right. Not this like is, Kerouac? No. This is uh, Jess and Aaron. Um... And it's lovely. Michael, if people like Jess and Aaron want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Let's see both of you tackle a long road trip with three under six. Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> send us your music by sending it to jingles at com. Barry's Verluga joins us now. We talked at great length just now with Michael Wilbon Barry about the Buffalo teams he had covered in his life and the Buffalo game yesterday. And his thoughts, you know, I mean, that that's a home game that's in the snow. You have in Josh Allen, a celebrated quarterback, who can run with power and take a hit, and you think at 14-7 they're going to come back, and they don't, and Wilbon says there's something missing on that team. Do you think there's something missing on that team, or you just think that Cincinnati's better? I think it brings up the question of whether there's something missing, because this whole season was set up for the Bills to at least face the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game in what was would be... Uh, obviously a rematch of that incredible classic from, from a year ago. I mean, think about the way the season started, Tony, which was the Bills going to the Super Bowl champion Rams on a Thursday night and Killing blowing them. the doors off of them. Killing them, yes. Putting the whole league on notice that Josh Allen was an MVP candidate and they had Stefan Diggs, and uh, an elite receiver, and Vaughn Miller was a veteran pre- presence on defense, and Sean McDermott had the right message and followed it methodology as coach and it kind of was set up um that this was the bills year now you know there's injuries along the way um that happens to to every team but you're right about the circumstances that if you are the buffalo bills and you get to january 22nd 
with a home playoff game in the snow, and your quarterback is Allen, who is, you know, he played his college ball at Wyoming. This is not um, unfamiliar territory for him. Um, you know, I, I think it's incredible, incredible disappointment here. You could mm-hmm. feel it in the locker room uh, last night. McDermott made the argument that, um, look, we learn from these experiences. This will benefit us in the future. Um, the window is not closing. Um, it will be open for a long time. And that may well be true. Um, but I think the, the expectation for this Bills team was not to put kind of building blocks of learning experiences into place for the future. It was this, the, those, those building blocks were there and this was the year. So um, Cincinnati is excellent and Burrow is amazing. And I think defensively they had um, a great plan to kind of discombobulate the, the, the bills. Um, so all credit to them. But I, I think that the larger story coming out of that game is, just the incredible, incredible disappointment for for this town and that team. You mentioned um, McDermott talking about the window stays open. The window stays open. But on that side of the street, that window has um, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, and Joe Burrow, as well as Josh Allen. And it may be that Josh Allen is the least of them, which is not to say he's not terrific. You wrote, that, you wrote the right column the other day about what we're seeing in quarterbacks in this particular weekend. What are your thoughts on those four on the same side of the street? Well, that's exactly right. And the fact that they're all in the AFC um, makes it incredibly difficult to predict what will happen in the future. You know, you could, you could have an outstanding, outstanding AFC team and AFC season in 2023 or 2024 and, and lose – um, in the wild card round, I mean, you're not even, you know, we haven't mentioned Tua, who I, who knows exactly what Or Justin is. Herbert. But, but yeah, Justin Herbert, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just stacked at the most important position in North American sports um, that I think it's super, super fun for those of us who are just sitting on the outside and are, are you know, looking at, at potential matchups that makes the, the AFC playoffs in the future just uh, um, incredibly, incredibly fun but if you're a fan of one of these teams predicting sustained success and deep runs in the playoffs is is um you know risky because uh you're gonna run into you know there's just not a a um no disrespect to brock purdy but there's not a brock purdy or or you know frankly a dak prescott on on the afc side right now they are all you know burrow's a one one lawrence is a one one um, Herbert was the sixth Six, pick. Yeah. Uh, Allen was the seventh pick. I mean, th- these guys were all project. They were picked to be exactly what they have become, and that is franchise quarterbacks on, you know, a lot of them on rookie contracts that you can build a great roster around. So you were in Buffalo. You are in Buffalo. Uh, there's nothing that works. We learned this over the years in Green Bay and Denver and New England and Buffalo, there's nothing that works on TV to keep an audience like snow. Nothing. I mean, you never, ever turn away when there's a snow game. How, how was it for you? Um, is, you know, were you affected at all by the snow? Were you cold? You're in a press box. I assume it's toasty and nice. How was the experience? 
It was great. I mean, it was not, the, you know, I mean, they had the blizzards here um, within the last month, and it, I was taking a um, cab to the stadium yesterday, and it, everything was green. And I, so they, they essentially had like four feet of snow melt in the last month. So it wasn't like, you know, you go to Minneapolis sometimes, and you're like, oh, they got three inches, but that three inches is on top of the three feet that is still here because <laughs> yeah. it never gets above five degrees. That wasn't the case um, here. And it really didn't start snowing in earnest until kind of near kickoff. But, I mean, just, Tony, you, you know these games. Like, it's just, um, it has that feel where at every TV timeout, these guys with leaf blowers and shovels are coming to, like, you know, clear off the 30-yard line so we could know exactly what's going on um, in the game. It just, it felt like playoff football. Um, it felt like, and, you know, also... You're driving in, and the fans are—they uh, don't care. They're all oh, wearing their ridiculous <laughs> Bills garb and like oh. Wyoming um, Josh Allen jerseys. And I mean, it's the—they're drunk their as rats. They do not blink. <laughs> they're um, drunk as rats. When I did Monday Night Football, you get a night game in Buffalo. They're there at eight in the morning. They're <laughs> dead, passed out by four, and then they—they're revived. It's unbelievable. That game, and I watched all of that game. And again, I'm not, I'm not, Buffalo's a very good team. Buffalo's won a lot of big games. Cincinnati dominated that game. They dominated on the line. Cincinnati wasn't supposed to be able to protect Burrow. They dominated the game. They dominated the calls. They had one touchdown, they had two touchdowns reversed. One the bad way and one the good way. They totally dominated your interest, right? Absolutely. And from the opening kickoff. I mean, the Bills deferred, which is, you know, the, the conventional wisdom, yeah. wisdom if you win, win the yeah. coin toss because you could do the double score thing and, and um, have a major advantage. But it turned out to be a terrible decision because Joe Burrow, I think they went pass, run, pass, run, pass, run, or something like that, uh, and just mixed it up. And, and Burrow on the first drive was 4-4. Four of four. Um, They get a three and out. Uh, on the next drive, he's 5-5. Five of five. I mean, Jamar Chase is the best player, best option for Burrow, but he is not the only option, and he didn't have to have and doesn't have to have. No, you know, Higgins and Irwin. No, they're good. And, and, and Burrow is like, his numbers yesterday don't, don't wow you, but he is, it's only his third season. He's already been to a Super Bowl, and he's one of those guys that um, he, he just exudes okay, I'm in control. This game is slow for me. And one of the reasons that um, he didn't get sacked yesterday, or, I mean, yeah, I think he had one sack for two-yard loss, uh, is because he's smart with the football. He gets rid of it. He, he doesn't, um, you know, that, that famously he was sacked nine times in a playoff uh, game in Tennessee last year that they won. But I think he's he's improved from that, and he avoids some of those because he's just – He's just smart with the football, smart player, smart person. So you, you watch it again. It's 14 nothing, and you say, oh, my God, is this going to be like the Eagles and the Giants? And then Buffalo goes down the field, and it's 14-7. And, you know, you sit at the edge of the chair because you think it's going to be a game, and it's not. Cincinnati went back down the field. I think they only got three that time. It doesn't matter. Cincinnati was dominating, and I can't stress this enough, against a good team at home in conditions they like, right? I mean, you have to say to yourself, wow, Cincinnati. Well, and I think what it leads you to think is, 
put aside Patrick Mahomes' availability or effectiveness yeah. in the coming of the um, week, yeah. this is a team that I think probably a lesser version of, of this team went to Arrowhead Stadium last year and beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the AFC title game. Um, and, and I think the takeaway from yesterday when you get past the enormous disappointment in Buffalo is, holy cow, this team could do that again. And, and, and in fact, could do it em- emphatically. I mean, they had – the Bengals started 0-2 um, on Halloween, I think a Monday night game. They, um, they lost to go 4-4, four and four, um, and people thought there was some sort of hangover – Maybe it was similar to what the Rams were going through. And they haven't lost since. I mean, I think, I think that the way the season started led everybody to believe, holy cow, the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl and the Bengals are an afterthought. Yes. And the Bengals kind of just, you know, laid in wait there and, and have just put block after block after block in, in place. And, and you can't um, overstate exactly what you said, that it wasn't just like Burrow and Chase and all these, and all these skill guys. Um, they really dominated up front in, in kind of an old school way, Tony, that, you know, that the snow games feel like something from, from the seventies. Well, this is kind of in, in the trenches kind of way. It felt like some, something from the seventies or eighties. I agree. I agree. They I got mean, after it. And I, I have to tell if anybody's listening, Cincinnati's a cold weather port. You know what I mean? Like they get snow in Cincinnati a lot. Joe yeah. Burrow's not, and he grew up in Ohio. He grew up there. So he's not, a, there's no snow that, that frightens him. Um, beating Kansas, if they were to beat Kansas City again, and they will be the underdogs in that game, if they were to beat Kansas City again at Kansas City, which I think would be four in a row for Burrow over Mahomes, then you reshuffle the order. And that's hard for me to say, because I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football, and I've thought it for three or four years now. But if Cincinnati goes in there and beats them and Burrow does that, I think you're, you're looking at somebody where you go, whoa, this kid could be an all-timer. Am I overstating that? No, I don't think you are. But I also think at this point you have to be honest about the tools with which each of them has to work. I mean, there's no Tyreek Hill in Kansas City anymore. That's right. And I, they have players. I'm not trying to downgrade them. But I don't think they have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Mixon and, and that sort of combination. I mean, Kelsey is obviously He's um, great one of the best at his, at his craft, but I think that this isn't the most dangerous group of weapons that Patrick Mahomes has had at his disposal. Um, I think it makes for a great debate, Tony, and it is, like, like you said, I wrote the other day, I mean, this is the first divisional weekend without Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, or a Manning yeah. since 2003. Yeah. And that's not because it's a fluke. It's, it's because the baton has been passed. Like, those guys are the. I'm not saying that um, Rodgers or Brady couldn't appear at this weekend in, in the future, you know, next year if they decide to play. But this generation owns now. I mean, th- th- this is theirs. They are not next. They are now. And, and that is, it's enormously exciting because you always wonder, you know, <clears throat> are, are the legends going to have replacements? They, they do. And, and they're at, at greater numbers than, than I think. Um, you might have guessed. So if you get the choice next week and you got to go to one or the other, which is the more attractive game to you? Uh, uh, well, I like the AFC game, I think. Right. Just, um, although I think both are good. The, the, only, the, the difference is that if it was in the NFC, I feel like if it was anything except 
Philadelphia and, and San Francisco, the luster would have been lost. Because yes. Those two. I They're think, the best teams by far. Clearly the best in the conference right. for, from the midseason on. And, and um, so we get the matchup that we wanted. I think the matchup that people thought they wanted in the AFC um, was Bill's Chiefs. And, and you don't get that. But, it, but the reality is, in the AFC, there's five matchups that would be extremely, extremely um, attractive. So um, I, I think Burrow versus Mahomes is just, you know, shoot it into my veins. I mean, that's, that is that's yeah. the one for me. And, and that's not to say, I mean, I really, 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 um, I think the, the Eagles answered a lot of questions. It's like, you know, how is Hurts? They had the layoff. They kind of stumbled without Hurts at the end of the season. Those questions were answered. And I think despite, like, kind of a uh, kind of a slog of a game last night, um, we talked last week about,�����������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������
Everyone, we gotta get together now. Oh yeah, love's the only thing that matters anyhow, and the beauty of life can only survive if we love one another. Oh yeah, yesterday my friends were marching out to war. Listen now, we ain't marching anymore. We ain't gonna fight. Only God had that right to decide who's to live and die. And he gave us sweet cherry wine, so very fine. Drink it right down, pass it all around. So stimulating, so intoxicating. That's one of the later hits by Tommy James and the Shandells called Sweet Cherry Wine. And if you were an English major and that came out, you might talk about the sacramental metaphor of that particular wine. Right, Michael? You might oh, yeah. do that. Our thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Barry's Verluga. Thanks to our sponsors, ButcherBox and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. When you started talking about Hojo's, it brought me back to the summer of 1968. I went to sleepaway camp in Jamesburg, New Jersey. Camp Pine Grove from 1955 to 1968. In 68, I was senior boys counselor, and there was a Howard Johnson's on the New Jersey Turnpike as a rest stop south of then Exit 9, and now we're near Exit 8A, which didn't exist then. There was a back entrance to the rest stop, and every night that we weren't on OD, I would take Nancy Sharfstein, my girlfriend that summer there, for a clam roll and coffee ice cream cone with the chocolate sprinkles. We would go back to camp and make out on a blanket in the parking lot behind the social hall. In 1971, although we were not going out, she had graduated Syracuse and invited me to her Halloween party in Manhattan. There I met PG, who was then PB, and we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary at PGA in Florida. Regards, DG. In case you wondered what had happened to him, he's back. And we're happy he's back. Yes. Jersey sweep. From Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings. It's no secret how or why you became such a successful journalist. Your dialogue with Booger the other day on the preparation pitfalls and psychology of retirement was poignant and remarkable, spellbinding. I'm a million miles from the life of a, pro- of a former professional athlete, but like perhaps thousands and thousands of regular working folks everywhere, and after 40 years of working at Dow, I face a great deal of trepidation on the next phase. Thank you for bringing this topic forward. That's, it was, I'm so happy that we had Booger to talk oh, about. Oh, it's great. That. From Jeff Flowers in Franklin, Tennessee. My Chuck and Roxy numbers are number 8 and 125, a two-timer, baby. So you can see amongst the Littles community, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I've been a fan of yours going back to the early sports reporters days. I used to interrupt my classes in college around your national show so I could hear you interrupt the Duke. I was in D.C. the day of your first chatter show. I didn't actually go because the woman to whom I'm related by marriage and my feminine child refused to interrupt our D.C. vacation to see the orange bald man I talk about incessantly in person, but still I was there. I've sent you many emails and even sent you faxes, no notes though, back in the day, and they were funny. But as of yet, I still haven't had anything read on the show. I'm hoping that having a single-digit Chuck and Roxy number and being a two-timer on their show is impressive enough to break through to Nigel and finally get an email read on the air. If not... I'll still be a big fan, but I may reevaluate if I'm actually smart and funny. <laughs> You're smart and funny, Jeff. Don't worry about it. From Shad. I'm Shad from D.C. My Chuck and Roxy podcast, number 22. Mm, good number. Um, from Bill Garner in North Potomac. Who the F are Chuck and Roxy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From Donnie in Richmond. Let the record show. At 1901, a Monday show, the Michael Wilbon stated that the Chargers-Jags game was unbelievable, which is reasonably synonymous with Wilbon admitting surprise. It has finally happened. Wilbon couldn't believe something. Big day. From Nick Sharkey in Escanaba, Michigan. Wilbon rode the silver line to Tyson's? Am I surprised? To quote Christmas Vacation, if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am now. P.S. I bought 24 acres up here in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Can you have Bells Up reach out to me so we can discuss an expansion? If they do, I'll send you a box of that in a few years. Let's be honest. To Michael, you won't be here is the, is the <laughs> subtext to that. Uh, from Trace Thomas. I apologize for the lengthy email, but being a longtime fan of my first time writing, and I figured I'd shoot my shot, as the kids say. We recently returned home from a three-day trip to your neck of the woods, only to find out that all four of our newly purchased pints of ice cream were missing. It did not take the woman to whom I'm related by marriage, and I longed to figure out who the culprit was. Our well-behaved, albeit spoiled, Catahoula hound, Luna, is not above occasionally gently placing a paw on your leg, followed by an unwavering gaze into your soul, indicating she would very much like to try whatever food item you might be enjoying at the time. But to the best of our knowledge, she has yet to develop the ability or desire to get into the freezer, leaving my dad, who has moved in with us temporarily, as the only logical suspect. (laughs) My father needs Ambien to help him sleep, and if you've ever witnessed the amusement or horror of someone on this drug getting the notion of a potential late-night snack in their mind before they actually fall asleep, then you would know that the mind will stop at almost nothing to accomplish this task and will drag the body along for whatever ride may ensue. The only mystery yet to be solved is where did everything go? Missing items include one Tillamook Rocky Road, one H-E-B Swoon Butter Pecan, and one Colombian Coffee Toffee. If you're ever in Texas, give these a whirl. And one Talenti, everybody gets Talenti now but me, uh, Strawberry Shortcake Gelato. Shortly after our search began, we found a spoon in the guest bathroom sink followed by four empty pints, neatly arranged in the bathroom trash. I guess when it comes to ice cream, when you die, you're going to regret the things you don't do. Thanks for all the laughs. Uh, we have a birth announcement here from Dennis Itner. Please see the attached for the announcement of the birth of our non-masculine child, Eric Maeve Itner, born on January 16th, 2023. It's very unlikely she'll reach the stature of her 6'11 old man, as you'll remember from my pilgrimage to Wisconsin and Jennifer in 2018. But maybe she'll reach sneaky tall territory. All, allow me to also contribute to the things my dog ate game. Several years ago, I procured for the woman I'm related to by marriage a collection of one dozen British Cadbury chocolate bars. And the ones from Britain uh, are the, so uh, sweet and yeah. milky. They're so wonderful. That's how we do it. They were all individually wrapped, wrapped in plastic bag, covered with a wrapping paper, and tucked away presumably safe under the Christmas tree. Well, Kofax and Bella, our then Beagle and Basset Hound, exposed my chutzpah and completely devoured the imported confections. The dogs were none the worse for wear, but for several weeks cleaning up the backyard had an extra pizzazz with metallic confetti everywhere in sight. From Doug Harrison in Oklahoma City. I'm a little behind in the podcast, but listening to Michael's story about the deer, I had to tell you about the nefarious animals of our little patch of land. The dog. Coming home one Christmas Eve, we found the refrigerator door open and our mutt laying on the kitchen floor bloated like a beached whale. Upon inspection, we discovered the Christmas ham was missing. For the next three days, I've never seen a dog drink so much water. The cat. Three months later, not to be outdone by our dog, on my eighth birthday, minutes before the neighborhood kids were showing up for my birthday party, mom found the cat eating the middle out of the baked-from-scratch birthday cake. Quick on her feet, mom cut away the offensive bite marks and filled it in with icing. She then swore my brother and I to secrecy. Within microseconds of the kids coming into the house, my brother and I shouted, the cat ate the middle of the cake, and mom filled it in with icing. Did we still eat the cake? Of course, it's cake. The bird. For my two boys every Easter, we would hide Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies in our yards for them to find. One Easter, my youngest came crying to me because his chocolate bunny was missing an eye. A bird had poked a hole in the package and taken the chocolate bunny's eyes. Thanks, Doug Harris in Oklahoma City. P.S. Hey, Jimmy Orr, you may outdrive me on every hole, but my putter owns your butt 24-7, so eat it. <laughs> Some of these are just 
Wonderful. From Doug Shaw. So I know you are now inundated with my dog ate stories, and I could fill your mailbox with items that my old lab Sadie ate, God rest her soul. However, Maggie, my seven-year-old, 40-pound, Maggie was our dog, yes. Labradoodle's escapade stand out. So I had to tape the refrigerator. Maggie does not eat socks. She does not like dog toys. However, the little angel is a world-class countersurfer. One evening several years ago, I was hosting a few friends for a dinner party with steaks cooked on a cast iron skillet, the only way to cook a steak. Oh, with a little butter baste at the end? My guests and I were seated at the dining room table enjoying salads and conversation when I realized that a little socialite Maggie was very quiet and not to be seen. I immediately looked up a short hallway ending to my kitchen and saw her run by with a beautiful two-inch ribeye in her mouth. (laughs) I leaped out of my chair and managed to grab her and save a portion of the raw meat. When I returned to the table, my girlfriend, not related by marriage, looked at me and the four other dinner guests and with a serious face said, well, I'm certainly glad she didn't eat my steak. (laughs) You know? And one more from Tom Taylor. Tom from Knoxville, Tennessee. And while I'm catching up on past shows, I heard the dog eating human things and figured I would weigh in. We had friends over one time for a cookout, and one of our friends had her plate with her burger sitting in her lap. She turned to say something to her neighbor, and my beagle took the burger off her plate, and she didn't even know what happened. She looked around for it, thinking she dropped it, as he was on the floor eating as fast as he could. (laughs) Thinking things couldn't be worse with our dogs, my daughter's dog, an Irish setter golden retriever mix, ate an athletic sock, and it earned him a night at the vet's with a bunch of laxatives until it passed. He learned his lesson, right? No, they don't learn. No. They don't learn. They learn other things. They don't learn eating. A couple of months later, he was having stomach issues back to the dock, and yes, he did it again. The vet kept the sock in a plastic bag and gave it to us when we picked him up. We said thanks, but we really didn't want to see that. He said, I didn't want to see it other either. Please pick up your socks. Our vet has a great bedside manner. <laughs> P.S. As a kid, I always asked my dad when we were traveling to stay at a Hojo's. He said, no, son, we ain't that fancy. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. I'm 70 and 40 publicly against the spread on Tony Kornheiser. Who is Tony? <laughs> Tony Kornheiser. Who is that? It's a PTI guy on ESPN. Okay. <laughs> Harry Milber, we dedicate our shows to you.
start this day. 